0: There's a guitar on the stage. Maybe I should play it. What do you think? Oh, it's again, the th- same three people who are excited about the race. Okay. Um, oh, no, I, that's not what I was. Okay. Uh, so back when I was a youth pastor, I used to uh, play the, uh, the guitar for, for the students that I led. And uh, we sang all these great songs that, you know, because time goes by, they just kind of get lost. And uh, this was one of them. And we're going to talk today about fights. Uh, today is fight day. So uh, when it comes to the fight that we're embroiled in as followers of Jesus Christ, this is a song about it. Uh, Maybe you'll remember it. Here it goes.
1: Anybody with me so far? In heavenly armor we'll enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. Anybody with me now? no weapon that's fashioned against us will stand the battle belongs to the lord we sing glory honor power and strength to the lord we sing glory honor
0: power and strength to the lord all right we're gonna sing that at the end everybody got it Anybody got it? You guys are just leaving me up here on my own. Okay. All right. It's a great song. Th- no, thank you. That's completely unnecessary. I botched like the second chorus. All right, anyway. Uh, fights. I was just at the men's retreat preaching this message to them. And if you want to know how to get a bunch of guys in a Christian environment talking, ask them about the last time they came close to getting in a fight. They will just go off. <laughs> like, they won't talk about their feelings or what's going on in their, you know. But if you say, hey, turn to the person next to you and tell them about the last time you came this close to throwing hands, they will immediately launch into that story. I had to calm the guys down. They were sort of, oh, yeah, it was almost, it was like a half an hour ago. I was on the way up here. And, and, uh because guys are always ready to fight. I had a I had a, a, a recent situation. I was out with one of the guys in my life group. We were golfing, and uh, in, in a golf uh, experience, you, you want to keep a, a certain pace. It, it gets really hard if you have to kind of wait for the groups in front of you. And so we were doing this on this particular day. And so we may or may not have hit the ball close to them a couple times, you know, because uh, we w- certainly weren't doing it on purpose. Um, uh, but we came to the ninth hole. It'd been a, just a frustrating, you know. Uh, too long time, uh, for us to be playing golf. And, and so we hit in you know, our, our drives one more time. And then all of a sudden here it came, the roof of the cart up the hill that we couldn't see because it was, you know, out of our line of sight, but, but they came up the hill and this, th- this gentleman gets out. I'm sure he's a great guy, but he was done. He, he had just had enough of us. And so he gets out of the cart and he starts to explain to my, my buddy, my Christian friend and I just what, how, how big idiots we are basically. Uh, Treats as any Guys, maybe ladies, you don't have a problem with. Maybe you do. But but dudes, don't you hate it when someone talks down to you? I mean, I was ready to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I know what this is all about. We didn't mean to hit into you. We couldn't see you. I thought you were gone. I was going to apologize, but he never gave me the chance to say my sorry. He just launched. And as your pastor stood there listening to this guy call him things, I thought, well, this is it. This is the day I go to jail. This is the end. (laughs) Because if he takes one more step closer to me, I'm going to throw. I'm going to, I'm just, I, I don't care. Someone's going to have to take me off this guy because I'd had it. Now, by the grace of God, anybody been here? By the grace of God, cooler heads prevail. Cheeks are turned, right? And, uh, and, and we went on with our day. Uh, I was still stewing about it. Still kind of him right now. Has anybody ever told a story like that? And you're like, yeah, I think I should have hit him. Idiot, yeah, but uh, but it didn't happen that way. But. Here's what I've noticed about the, the era that we're living in. Things are a little more tightly wound right now. Seems like in our culture, there's a few more things going on that people can kind of get fussed out over. Anybody notice what I'm talking about? Like eight months of a pandemic, uh, a political season, you know, where people are probably more than I can remember in my 51 years, uh, more angry with the other side than they've ever been. Um, It just feels like things can jump off at any moment. Uh, But I I would say that even though that's kind of what's happening in the culture that we're living in right now, um, there there is always, since the beginning uh, of time and and the first people in the garden decided to sin, there's always been a battle waging in the world that we live in. In fact, a lot of the stress and the strife that we feel is caused by um, the sin that exists in this broken world. Uh, Broken people get angry and lash out. Uh, They hurt and harm. Um, We're going to talk about that today. The battle that's raging all around us. We're going to talk about it because as we come to this story of Israel and in the Book of Exodus, they've been emancipated from um, the slavery in Egypt, and, and we can relate to that because if, if if we can relate to anything, it's emancipation. As Christians, we've been uh, freed from our sin through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's our salvation, and and Israel's experienced their salvation. They are heading towards the Promised Land, which is you know uh, their their glory, their their, their future um, inheritance, and and we as our you know. Christians in our age, we are heading towards a, a promised land of a sort called heaven. We have experienced our salvation, we are going to experience our glorification uh, in in the place that Jesus has prepared for us. But we, like Israel, are not there yet. We are in the wilderness. Uh, it's known as our sanctification process. We're kind of between two worlds. We've been saved from the sin of this world, but we are not yet in the world that is to come. And so we're kind of hanging out in the woods, in the desert. And God is teaching us his character and the things that we need to know as we go through this, just like he's teaching Israel in their story. Now, at this point, in Israel's story, most of the letters or lessons have come internally. Like Israel is basically trying to figure out, you know, their own stuff. Right, because they uh, they get to the Red Sea and they immediately start complaining to Moses. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? You know that you had to take us out here to die. They, they struggled with doubt and fear. Anybody been there? Just me. Okay, thank you. Gosh, you guys are here, right? I can see you. Yeah, okay, good. Um, uh, so, so Israel had to learn that. It was an internal lesson. They, they, they went on and they started wandering around the, in, the, in the wilderness that is the Sinai Peninsula and they, they didn't have water to drink. They didn't have food to eat. And over, over and over God provides those things but, but over and over they come to Moses and complain about their lack. These are internal lessons that they're having to learn. But now we have our first external force coming against them. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 17 verse eight. Uh, if you'll read with me in your own Bibles or here on the screens, it says this. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. If you were here last week, Rephidim we know is this place uh, that means resting place. Moses renamed it because it was the place where they were complaining about not having any water and they actually uh, wondered if God was with them, Israel had. And so uh, he called it Masa, which means to test or Meribah, which means to strive against and kind of renamed Rephidim. But here in this same region, uh, for the first time in this particular part of the story, Israel is having to deal with an enemy from without, not from within. Amalek. Anybody know who Amalek is? Probably not. I had to look it up too. Amalek is actually the grandson of a guy named Esau. Anybody ever heard of Esau? Esau was Jacob or Israel's brother. Uh, They had their own little issue. Anybody remember that? And so here the descendants of Esau, Amalek, uh, come against the descendants of Jacob or Israel. And. uh, they, they make war with them. It's you know, the first time that Israel has faced it. It's not going to be the last time. In fact, if you uh, get bored ever while I'm preaching, especially if you're into like, you know, war stories and stuff like that, I used to read Joshua all the time when the pastor would get kind of slow because there's great fight scenes in Joshua. And so uh, those are coming. Israel's going to be in, in war for most of its history uh, up until they're taken captive. That comes a little bit later. Uh, But this is the first time since leaving Egypt that they're going to find themselves in a fight. And the Amalekites, uh, as they're come to be known, uh, they didn't fight fair. Look what it says later on in the story of Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy tells us that uh, uh, we should remember what Amalek did to you, to Israel, on the way as you came out of Egypt. This particular instance here in Exodus 17. How Amalek attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who are lagging behind you. Amalek went after the, uh, the, the, the tired and the weary, the vulnerable. And Amalek did this, uh, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, because they did not fear God. Now, I went over some of the parallels between the Exodus and our story. You know, there's another parallel here with these, these enemies, these, these Amalekites who are coming against Israel. We, we face an enemy, don't we? And he's like the Amalekites. He, he loves to come to us when we're tired and weary and vulnerable. In uh, First Peter, uh, our enemy, the devil, Satan, is described as a roaring lion. Anybody ever watched like the Nature Channel? Who do the lions go after? Like the biggest water buffalo in the herd? No. They, they stick around the outskirts and they wait for the young or the old, the weary, the vulnerable, the tired uh, to come into their range and they go after them and so our adversary who also by the way is chief among all in existence in not fearing God Does everybody agree that the devil does not fear God that's how he got to be the devil he just thought he should be God and has no reverence or fear for him at all and so the Amalekites and our enemy have much in common. So even as we walk through the book of Exodus and this story in the the history of Exodus, we can fast forward to the New Testament and and see the same story told to us. Paul, the writer of many of the letters in the uh, New Testament, writes to a church called Ephesus and he tells the Ephesians in the first three chapters of his letter to them all these great truths about who God is it's just awesome you should read it if you haven't read it for a while we studied it a little while ago as a church but then in chapters four and five he takes all those truths and he says here's how you should act and read in you know in understanding these things about God here's how you should live in your marriages as parents as as fellow you know uh, followers of Jesus Christ here's how you live this stuff out the things that you know become the things that you do but then in chapter six he says this you got to remember that believing these things and living or doing these things is always going to be done in the context of a war of a battle of a spiritual struggle. And that's why he says finally Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 be strong in the Lord. All this stuff I've told you about what you should believe and how you should live, it's going to happen or not happen depending on whether you are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He goes on and he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the attacks of the devil for we do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against uh, spiritual powers, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers in this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's happening. Look at me. Everybody online, look at me. Turn away from whatever screen you have on in addition to this. It's happening right now. Every time I get up to talk to you guys, you know what's going on in the room? A spiritual war. Some of you haven't listened to me until just then. Because you're like, whoa, he told me to listen. And it's the first time in 10 minutes you've actually clued into anything I've said. Do you know why you're not cluing into the things that a preacher of God's word is saying? It's because your enemy doesn't want you to. And he'll distract you any way he can from you hearing the truth and moving forward in it. The battle rages constantly. And so Paul says, hey man, gear up, get ready. Know it's happening and fight the fight. I want to talk to us today about something that I've talked to you about probably in countless different ways at countless different times, but I want to hit it again, especially in the season that we're in. The, The battle's waging. How are you coming to the fight? How do we fight our battles in the spiritual realm. There's three things that we're gonna lean from the, or learn from the story of uh, the Israelites here in Exodus today. Um, the fight's real, we gotta get ready for the fight. That's the first thing. But when we fight, we gotta rely on God and God alone for the strength that we need to fight because we're just gonna lose otherwise. And then the last thing is this, we gotta remember all the times that God delivers us because there's going to be more fights tomorrow and the next day and the next week. Is everybody with me? Uh, Sometimes I get up and I, I feel like, well, I've told them this stuff before. Uh, has everybody noticed how, you know, preachers are basically like uh, Mexican restaurants? Everybody get that? I basically give you the same five things uh, over and over again. You know, just uh, one day I call it tacos, the next day it's burritos, the next day, you know, it's just different. It's the same ingredients though, just put together differently. Everybody's looking at me with a blank face right now. Do you get what I'm talking about? Okay. And so this, again, is a message that's well, but, but here's the deal. This is the kind of stuff that we as believers forget the moment we get in our cars and drive away from wherever we just listen to it be told. This is the kind of stuff that all it takes is some yo-yo in front of us in traffic to pull us offside, and and we start fighting the battle in our flesh. We start fighting with all these weapons that aren't ours. And so hear me today, brothers and sisters. Heed what God has to tell us as we consider how we should fight. The first thing we should do is get ready for the fight. Look what it says in verse nine. So Amalek's coming, they're picking off uh, the Israelites, making war against them. And so Moses says to this guy, Joshua, first time we see Joshua, Joshua's gonna be a a big player in the story of Israel moving forward, but this is the first time he's introduced to us. Moses says to this guy, Joshua, a, a, a man that he trusts, he says, choose for us men and go out and fight Amalek. Now this is interesting. Uh, Israel is just a couple months probably away from being slaves in Egypt. They didn't have a militia, you know, that they kind of trained while they were slaves. I'm guessing Egypt would be, you know, kind of frown on that. Is everybody with me? So here they are, you know, how many hundreds of thousands, maybe a couple million of them, something like that. But they're hanging out in the woods, the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula, and they've got no means by which they can defend themselves. And so they have 24 hours Joshua is, is told by Moses, go and find some guys. Form for us a defense. <laughs> I'm guessing the only thing he really had to have in order to be in the army of Israel was a heartbeat and, and maybe, you know, like a stick or a sword or something like that. Like, like you know, Joshua's coming around, and he's like, hey, Anybody here got a sword? Maybe the Egyptians gave you one as you were like, leaving town because they threw a bunch of gifts at you. Anybody got a sword? Oh, you got a sword, Gerald? Okay, Gerald, you're in. Here we, and, and he took the 12 or 14 hours of that day before Amalek's coming back, and he just starts drilling. I don't know how Joshua knew to fight, but he starts drilling all of these men who would become the defense of Israel. So choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. He says, tomorrow, which is when the fight will happen, I will stand on the top of the hill With the staff of God. The sticks played a big role in the story of Israel so far, right? Everybody remembers that uh, Moses was uh, was minding his own business, you know, tending his sheep. And God came to him in a burning bush back in chapter 3. And he says, hey, Mo, you're going to go free my people from Egypt. And he says, just so you know, I'm not lying. Take that stick, that normal piece of wood that you've been carrying around all these days, and throw it on the ground. When he did, it turned into what? A snake. When he picked it back up, it turned back into what? A stick, yeah, and he used it, and he used it over and over again. It was a symbol of God's power and strength in the story. And Moses said, listen, I'm going to take my stick, and while you're uh, down there fighting against the Amalekites in the the valley, I'm going to go up on this hill, and I'm going to take a couple guys with me. Uh, I'm gonna uh, stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He went out and got the army set up and and he fought with Amalek the next day while Moses and then a couple of his pals, Aaron and Hur. Now Aaron's his what? Sounds sounds like mother starts with bro. Brother, good, you got that one. Aaron is Moses' brother. He's also his spokesperson because Moses had a little bit of an impediment. Uh, But Aaron we know, Hur we don't. Her was this guy who was eventually going in chapter four become kind of a part of the government of Israel. When Moses is unable to judge and be over the things, he's gonna cede that to Aaron and Her and some other guys. And so uh, this is kind of his first introduction, but uh, uh, he takes Aaron and Her with him up onto the top of the hill. And in doing so, in these few verses, we basically have the setup of how the fight's supposed to go. Here's the two parts. If you're taking notes at home, if you're not, it's no big deal. There's the we do and the he do. Is everybody with me on that? When it comes to the fight, there's the parts that we do, all right? And then there's the part that only God can do, the we do and the he do. Now, the we do is the valley fight. The we do is we do everything we can to prepare ourselves for the inevitable inevitable battle that's going uh, to arrive in our our lives. So so, uh, when we think about the, you know, the preparation that our military goes through, Basic training leads to increase, you know, or, or additional training leads into specialization, leads into drilling and, and preparation to the point where I think we have the best military in the world, right? Uh, because they're a well-prepared group and, and they can defend us in so many different ways. Uh, we who follow Christ should have the same approach to, to our discipleship. Uh, when, when Paul was explaining this after saying, hey man, uh, you know, get ready, put on the armor of God, he explains the armor. He, he describes it in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about the belt of truth and we know that that means we should know the right things. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. That means knowing the right things and choosing the right things, living a righteous life. He talks about the shoes that should be on our feet, this readiness with the gospel of peace. Those shoes were like cleats and he says we've got to stand firm in the things that we believe or the things that we know to be true and the things that we uh, know that we should be doing. We need to have the shield of faith. That is, that's the belief part, that we should believe the right things so we can come against uh, the, the, the flaming arrows of the evil one. There's this helmet, excuse me, helmet of salvation that, again, protects our thoughts and our minds. And there's this sword of the spirit. We need to know God's word so that we can put it into play like Jesus did when Satan tempted him, right? He quoted the scriptures over and over and over again three times. All of those things are the we-do parts, uh, you, you may not identify this as such, but you watching online and you guys sitting here in the room, you're here to, we do training. Uh, this is kind of the dressing room for the armor of God. I, uh, I shop a lot at Sam's. I just want it simple. I just want it on stacked on tables. I just want to know the shirt, see the shirt, take the shirt, pay for the shirt, go home. That's how I like to shop. Some of you like going to malls and hanging out in there. You can have them. I don't want to do that. So I go hunting when I go shopping. I look for my size, I pick it up, I pay for it, I go home. Here's what I found out though. Certain companies, their sizes are different from other sizes. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever ordered your size like off of Amazon or maybe gotten something at Sam's? you didn't get to try it on and you get it home and you're like, well, that's an extra small Uh, or at least not my size in the letters that I use. uh, and then you have to take it back. If you just had a dressing room at Sam's, which I'll confess, who hasn't done this? You just try it on right over the top of whatever you're wearing. Has anybody ever done that? If you've ever looked in just utter disgust at that person, that's me. Just so you know, that's me. But dressing rooms are really helpful. And and when I was thinking about, you know, the armor of God and the ways that we're meant to live in this uh, Christian life, um, a lot of times when I think about church or us hanging out in a service like this, I think of refueling. Like we're getting, you know, fed. We're getting refueled so that we can go out and be on the mission together, right? But I I think in addition to that, we need to see this as the dressing room. Whereas we get ready for the battles that await us in the world outside, uh, we come and we get the armor on. We learn the things that we need to learn so that we're prepared for the fight. That's the we do part. Now, that's the valley. Moses says, I'm going up on the hill. I'm going to hang out up there. You, you take your men and you go fight down there with Amalek, but I'm going to do my own fighting. It's going to be up on this hill. It's a familiar spot. Uh, Moses doing what he's doing. He's doing. Uh, Most scholars, as I was studying this text, believe, even though it doesn't say this specifically, that Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the hill to pray. Uh, They certainly uh, had a staff, or Moses had the staff in his hands and it would go up and down. We're gonna read that in the next verse, but probably beyond just this, Moses, Aaron, and Hur were praying and asking for God to give his victory in the battle in the valley below. Would it surprise you to know that in Ephesians 6, after describing all of the pieces of the armor, uh, this is what Paul finishes with? He says this in verse 18. He says, You guys should be praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and all supplication. To that end, you should keep alert, with all appearance, always praying for all the saints. Uh, I've been this too often in my life. I've met too many Christians who are this too often in their lives. They're deeply aware of, steeped in the truths of scripture, but disconnected from the God who makes them powerful. Those are religious people. They know chapter and verse can quote you the theology, but they have absolutely no relationship with the God who makes it real. uh, I've enjoyed these, they're called uh, AirPods, they uh, miraculously connect to your devices so that you can just ignore everybody else when you're wearing them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Ooh, they just turned on. They just connected with something. That's really cool. Uh, these work through uh, the Bluetooth settings on your phone or your device. And uh, I wear them around the house. When I do, Eleanor always thinks that they're on. And so she'll start yelling at me in the kitchen, Mark! And I'm like, no, babe, they're not, they're not on. You can I just got them in. Uh, so if you've ever, you know, had something like this, a wireless device like this, you know that these things are powered by electricity. That's what makes this, this little, you know, uh, flattened egg thing looking, uh, thing uh, so important. It's the, it's the battery pack. Uh, you have to keep this charged so that when you take these off, uh, they can go in here and, uh, actually have their power restored. Now, if you lose this, my daughter has a set. She is always losing this. Uh, and you don't find it, eventually the power in the pods themselves is gonna wear out. And uh, at that point, all you have is some really funky looking uh, white earrings. That's all you got. Because there's nothing coming through. They haven't been connected to their source and so they're useless. Look at me. You're probably picking up what I'm putting down, but let me just say it. If you know everything that you need to know as a follower of Jesus Christ, but you know Jesus not, if you haven't talked to him lately, if you haven't solicited him for the power that only he has, then your knowledge is worthless. And you're not living the Christian life. You're knowing a lot of Christian things, perhaps, but you're not in touch with Christ. Oh, man, let me ask you this question. When it comes to the, the battles that you face spiritually, and they come in all kinds of forms. They can come in your marriages where you're not, you know, uh, in agreement with your spouse they can come in the in the wars that you have with your kids as they you know make you crazy or think differently from you they can come from you know work or at school they can come just the just the basic stresses of finances and all there's all kinds of battles when you come to your battles though do you come armed ready with what god has prescribed for them are you taking the necessary time to 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 go to your dressing rooms. You know what the dressing rooms are. This is a dressing room. Your life group would be a good dressing room where you can be encouraged by your brothers and sisters that you're a part of that life group with, your your own personal time with God. You know, I go running now. I'll listen to uh, worship tunes. It's a dressing room. It's a sweaty one. (laughs) But I'm being reminded of the truth of of my Savior even as I'm out there, you know, running. Once we're ready, uh, we get to go to the next thing. Uh, We get to um, walk through whatever battle we're facing, look into God alone for the win that only He can provide. That's the next thing we need to talk about. We need to rely on God alone for our deliverance. So Moses is up on that hill. And verse 11 tells us that whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel would win. And whenever he lowered his hand, guess what? They wouldn't. So this is basically what's happening up on the hill. Moses has one hand or two hands. I don't know if he was one-hander or two-hander. But as long as he kept the stick in the air, Israel would prevail. But as soon as uh, he grew tired or got distracted uh, and his arms went down for whatever reason, flawed, you know, swat a flaw, I don't know what he did. But whenever that would happen, the, the battle would immediately turn and Amalek and his followers would uh, would gain the edge. Uh, That's it. That's all it says. Stick up, winning. Stick down, losing. (laughs) Uh, As I already mentioned though, this stick, nothing special about this stick or any stick, but it was an emblem, a symbol of the power of God in the story of Israel. From the time it was turned into a snake and and, uh, and brought before Pharaoh to the, to the time where it was held in the air and uh, uh, Moses during the plagues prayed down uh, uh, locusts on Egypt or, or in, in another uh, uh, plague, uh, he, he stretched out his hand and hail fell down on Egypt. When he, when he prayed at the edge of the Red Sea and asked God to open or, or spread or, or divide the Red Sea, uh, the stick was in the hand. The, the hands were over his head. Even as last week he tapped the rock at Meribah and Massah. Uh, the stick had been a symbol. And so there wasn't anything magical in the stick, but there was something in the symbol of what Moses was saying. His hands were above his head. Our kids, uh, as they were growing up, uh, they would eventually get to the point where they could sit in the high chair and feed, them, feed themselves. When I say feed themselves, I mean color themselves with the various food products before them. Uh, but uh, high chairs were handy. Anybody raise a kid? You can pop those little suckers in a high chair and they're kind of locked down for a little bit, right? And our kids would just kick and, you know, they'd get done and they'd want to go and play or whatever they were doing. Uh, but they knew they, they had to go through the process to get out of the high chair. Uh, Eleanor would come to them with the the washcloth, you know, that was necessary so that they didn't just completely, you know, uh, sully our entire house. Uh, But she would do this with them. She'd say, Hands up for Jesus. That was the line. Hands up for Jesus. And all of a sudden our kids would go,
1: whooping, right?
0: And they'd just wait and they'd know they were just going to get this cloth bath, you know, up the arms, spaghetti sauce, all that stuff. Wipe the face, dig in the nostrils, do the whole thing, right? But that was what had to happen for them to be free. Hands up for Jesus before they're going to open this thing up and let me go home or let me go and play. Huh. Oh, it's the same thing in the Christ life. In fact, everybody, just do this with me. Even if you're at home, I don't know what your camera's on. Even if you're at home, put your hands up in the air just for a second. We're not going to stick, keep them there, but just go ahead. Some of you are like, really? Yeah, go ahead. Just do it. Okay. Now, what does this mean in our culture? You're about to hand your wallet to somebody, Right. Or or uh, we're about to go down the roller coaster. Keep them up. It's almost, you're getting tired though, aren't you? That's going to come into the story. But uh, everybody understand this. This is the posture of the Christ life. Hands up for Jesus. He alone is the source of my victory and deliverance. Okay, you can put them down. Yeah. He alone has the power to see us through. Moses... Put his hands up probably for uh, the symbol. It was probably, uh, the the soldiers even, as they were fighting below, would see the stick and be reminded. Uh, Later on in the story of Israel, we're going to see the Israelites actually get uh, judged by God. They're going to get bit by a bunch of snakes. This is actually in the book. And uh, the only way they're going to be healed from the snake is they have to look at the stick. Later on in the story of Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter three, everybody knows verse 16. you know verse 14 and 15? He references the stick. You gotta see the one lifted up in the wilderness. Maybe that's kind of tied in with this story that the stick was overhead. And as long as they were looking at the stick, they would win. As long as the stick was above it, they would win. When the stick was lowered, they would lose. Certainly, Moses is, uh, is saying this about God when his hands are over his head. You are above me. I am not God, you are. Uh, secondly, he's probably saying, all that I need, you have. And I seek you and you alone for it. Only you, like our kids in the high chair, only you can set me free. When I reach for God, when I put my trust in him for the fight, he's either going to provide the victory outright Or he, listen to me, because some of you are like, I wish you would just do that every time. It's not his plan to give you victory every time. His plan is to provide for you what you need every time. Victory may not be it, but he, if you continue to reach for him, will lead you through whatever you face, provide for you what you need in the battles of life. Hmm. Now, often the fight is too much for us. That's where it goes next. Too much for us alone to bear by ourselves. And so God in this story teaches us an important principle. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, Moses' hands would grow weary. Okay, by a show of hands. Has anybody ever grown weary in the battles that you face in life? Anybody been there? Come on, it's like by, by their nature. That's just what happens. You get tired. So Moses, holding a stick over his head, got tired. So he's up there with Who? Aaron and this guy Hur and they came to his aid they they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it and while Aaron and Hur uh, they held up his hands one on one side and the other on the other side and so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun what was the result verse 13 Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword I would never get up if I actually squatted down. So let's just pretend I'm squatting down really low. Like not like chair low, like way down to the ground, like catcher low. Are you with me? Go raise. That's where Moses squatted down to. And and the mechanics of this, everybody, I hope you can understand. Moses has to keep the stick over his head. He can't pass it off to Aaron or her to hold. He has to be the holder of the stick. It has to be over his head. So he squats all the way down so that Moses and her, Moses, Aaron and her can can stand on either side of him and uh, use their arms just like you and I use ours. Where do you guys keep your arms most of the time? I keep them right here. Is that where you keep yours? Like this is really comfortable. I'm not trying at all to put my arms here right now. They're just there. And so it is so much easier with a guy squatting down who has to hold a stick over his head to kind of hold his elbow like this. Because if Moses was still standing up, Aaron and her would have to hold their arms up and they'd get tired too, right? I love this about our God. First of all, he made sure that Christianity wasn't this like golfing experience where you just play by yourself. Christianity is a team sport. It's something that we're meant to do together. And so all of us need our errands and our hers, and all of us need to be for someone else, their errand or their her, because every one of us, like Moses, is going to have a hard time making it through on our own. And so it is that I have my friends, the couples in my life group, uh, the the brothers and the sisters throughout my 50 years, well, 30-something years of following Jesus, that have come to my aid. And in the times where I was like tired and couldn't go on anymore, uh, they prayed with me and for me. They admonished me, rebuked me, mm, spoke the truth in love and pushed me forward in my life with Christ. Oh, if you don't hear anything else I say or do anything else that God instructs. Go out this week and seek to be someone's Aaron and her. Go out this week and seek to find who your Aaron and your her can be in your life. Because prayer, ministry, encouragement, uh, rebuking, all of the things that are meant to happen in the body of Christ are crucial for us all to be able to keep going. The last thing is this, we need to be ready for the fight. There's the we do and the he do. We need to rely completely on God alone because he alone has the strength for us to be able to make it through whatever we face. But then it's so crucial that we remember how God has delivered us. It's crucial because there's more battles coming. I love that Travis got up. I don't know if you were here when we were singing, but uh, he got up and talked about something that happened in the year 249 A.D. But it's so relevant to what's happening here in Brandon in 2020 A.D. It's crucial for us to remember the past, for us to reflect on what's happening here in Exodus because it reminds us that in the battles that we face, God is the victor and able to see us through. Look what it says. This is what uh, the Lord told Moses to do. First time he ever instructed this in the story of Exodus. He says, write this. It's the first time. Maybe we're reading what we were told or Moses was told to write down. We can't be sure, but he says, write this as a memorial in a book or on a scroll and recite it in the ears of Joshua. A little foreshadowing there, Joshua's going to be a big player in the story of Israel. Make sure the next time Joshua has to lead us in the battle, he remembers this fight. Because I delivered the victory. Make sure he knows that so he doesn't get too sure of himself. And then make sure he knows this, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That some more preaching and that doesn't happen for another few books here in the bible uh amalek is going to you know get a pass over and over again too many times uh, but eventually he's going to wipe them out from under heaven you know how you know that has anybody been at a Malachite lately no you haven't they're not around anymore all right moses also built an altar when you think altar what do you think of in the bible you usually think sacrifice don't you because sacrifices were given at an altar. But we haven't gotten to the law yet. There's no sacrifices to be made. And so most of the altars in the Bible up to this point have been memorials, totems, reminders. And so uh, Moses builds this altar and he names it the Lord is my banner. Literally, banner there means the flag that I follow into battle. In the same way that Moses held the stick over his head, Uh, Armies in that day and age who didn't have the benefit of AirPods and communication devices, um, they would almost always carry a standard. Like our flag went before us in our our battles, they would carry this standard that would be assigned to everybody as to where we would regroup and rally. And and so uh, what Moses says is that the Lord is our standard. The Lord is the banner that we rally around. He goes on in verse 16, he says, and a hand upon the throne of the Lord. It's a hard Hebrew phrase, but um, most of what I read, this is the rendition that they came up with in, in the interpretation. And what he's basically saying, it's the same thing as we read about Moses in the fight. Hands up, a hand on the throne of God, staying connected to him and his power. And then he says this kind of puzzling thing as he closes this story. He says, the Lord will have war with Amalek for how long? From generation to generation. Now, just a a few sentences ago, he says the Lord's gonna get rid of Amalek. He's gonna wipe them from the face of the earth. But it's not gonna be an instant thing. From generation to generation, you're going to fight these same kinds of battles. You're going to have an enemy who does not fear me come against you. Can anybody relate? Because here we are in this day and age, and our enemy is relentless. Does everybody agree? I'm laying in bed last night. This last service didn't get this. I'm laying in bed last night. I can't tell you the the stuff that I dream on the nights before I preach. It's horrible. It's devast like like last night. This is a literal dream I had. Uh, There was a strong man. The Bible talks about a strong man in the in in the scriptures, and there was a strong guy in my dream who was actually just pushing my shoulders down to where I was in this cramped space and I couldn't move. And I wake up from this dream and I'm just praying to God. I can feel the spiritual attack. He doesn't want me to sleep. He, does, he wants me to fear that, you know, I wake up, I'm still afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid say that. But I wake up and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm just feeling angst and dread and, and powerlessness. I'm being held down in my dreams. And the only thing that I have in those moments is this. God in heaven, even in this moment, in this instance of fear, be my strength. Be my victory. And eventually I get to go back to sleep. I don't know if you have those. I pray you don't. (laughs) But it's relentless in my life the way that the enemy attacks. From generation to generation he comes. That's why it's so important as we close that we on a daily basis hit the dressing room, run a check, am I wearing the armor? Am I thinking the right things, doing the right things, believing the right things, standing firm in the right things? Am I in the word? Am I soaking on the the truths that God has revealed there? Am I in relationship with other believers? Where's my Aaron? Where's my her? Who's praying for me? Who am I praying for? Am I remembering? You know, one of the best things my wife ever did for us as a couple spiritually is she started to journal the victories that we experienced as a young couple. And pretty much every year we sit down with this book and we just read through all the ways that God provided for us as our kids were children and uh, we were walking through seasons of just doubt and angst and fear. And we read those things as reminders that as we walk into the next things, God is faithful and able because we know that in all things, in every struggle, we're not alone. And the battle isn't ours alone. And so we can sing these songs of confidence and victory. Will you stand with me as we close? Just in the quiet of this moment, I just want you to have a little time with God. Maybe if you've kind of been drifting, I think a season like this, makes it really easy spiritually to just kinda get away from our moorings and drift in directions that we aren't supposed to be in. So just close your eyes for a second, I'll just play quietly. And you just pray to your God and confess to him where you maybe had doubts, where you fought without him. Ask him to be your victory
1: Let's sing. In heavenly armor we'll enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand The battle belongs to the Lord We sing glory, honor Power and strength to the Lord we sing glory, honor, power, and strength
0: of the Lord. All right, let's sing this next one like we mean it. You ready? When the power
1: of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up a standard, the power of his blood battle belongs to the Lord. We sing, we sing, Lord. is in heart, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend, your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory,
0: Father, we come to you now knowing that that's true, that we have all the power and all the strength that we need for all that we face from you. Help us to lean on you and you alone for victory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.